0: It is very, very good to be here this morning to preach one of the, the coolest and the most uh, empowering sermons that I've heard. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on Isaiah chapter 6? A mission sermon, probably. Yeah, it's very, very common because it's so powerful. It's so awesome. And it's, been, it's meant a lot to me through the years as I have heard this sermon preached by different types of preachers. So let's pray and we're going to get into this sermon. Father, I thank you so much that you loved us uh, from before time, to make sure that we would have your Bible right here in front of us. And not just a Bible in Greek and Hebrew, but a Bible in English, through so many people's uh, blood, sweat, and tears to get this to us, so we could know who you are and be comforted and motivated and, and eventually sent by your glory. We love you, God. We pray that this sermon touches us all in your name. Amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak always elevated, so I'm not yelling at you when I do this. Believe it or not, this sermon actually doesn't start in Isaiah 6. I would like us to turn to John, as a matter of fact. John chapter 12. And this isn't even the passage the sermon is on. We're going to go to it. We're all going to stand and read in a little bit, but not just yet. John 12 verse 41. John 12 verse 41. i I'd never seen this before, but Jesus is preaching... And the people he's speaking to do not believe what he is saying. And the Apostle John says that this is the fulfillment of what Isaiah said back in the book of Isaiah. That people weren't going to believe. And then at the end of what he says, in, chapter, in verse 41, it says this. And I'm going to be preaching out of the ESV this morning. It says this. Isaiah said these things because he, Isaiah, saw his glory, saw Jesus's glory and spoke of him, spoke of Jesus. Isaiah, what we're about to hear Isaiah talk about, was talking about Jesus. Isn't this crazy? And two pages over in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his father. So God is talking to God in John 17:5, And in his prayer, he says this. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had. Jesus had this crazy glory with you before the world existed. Can y'all believe that Jesus stepped out of some type of glory to come and love us? Well, let's take a look at what glory he was sitting in. So now turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And sound team, if I need to do anything with my mic, just do the international sign of distress and I'll do it. So Isaiah 6, and we're going to, I'm going to just read through the whole thing real quick and then go back and preach the sermon. So if you would, let us stand in honor of the, of the preaching and, the, and the, uh, the reading of the word of God. Because so many people do not have this. But we do. And we know that faith comes from hearing this. So let's stand in the power of the Holy Spirit, in His Word, and let's read it. In verse 1, I'm going to start and read to verse 9-8. And it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. About Him stood, or above Him stood, seraphim. Each had six wings, with two They covered their face and with two, they covered their feet and with two, they flew and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled With smoke, and I said, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of those seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go and say to the people, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So that was the sermon. I guess we're done. If you read it intensely enough, it's it's pretty much a, a package deal. So King Uzziah has just died. This happened in the years 740 B.C. 740 years. So. 2020 plus 740 years is when this happens. And King Uzziah is important to understand. You see, this man reigned in, in, the, in the split kingdom but over the kingdom of, of Judah. And this was the kingdom that God was eventually trying to preserve but eventually it was going to go into exile also. He reigned, let's see, for 52 years. 52 years from the age of 16 to add 52. I'm not about to do it. 52 years and he dies. And he's a rare king. He actually walked in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the favor of God. He walked in the ways of God, at least in the beginning of his reign. And then he got cocky. And he thought, because he's God and because his truth is truth, maybe, I'm going to worship God however I want instead of reading his word and being, being governed by the word of God. And so he offers a weird sacrifice in the temple. And God shows him who's the ultimate king. Now, Uzziah, just because you've done this for a long time, I'm still reigning king. And so he strikes Uzziah with leprosy for the remaining time of his reign and he goes and lives in seclusion until he dies at whatever age and his son takes over. So can you imagine 52 years with the same king? We have presidents for four to eight years and it's on purpose. So that if the president's bad, you're still going to have a big change of, of leadership eventually, right? That was a very smart move. But if you have a good king, can you imagine... For year after year after year, they can just keep building on this goodness and the roads would get fixed down here. Lord forbid. (laughs) And all these good things can happen if there's a good king in place and justice can reign and all the wrongs can be righted. And when enemies attack, they can work on strategy for longer than just four years and they can build security for you and prosperity for 50 something years. Well, then this is gone. He dies because earthly kings... They just can't maintain their moral life. They're going to fail because they're human. They also can't maintain that they're, 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 mor- they're mortal. They're going to die. And this just happened. Can you imagine the loss they're feeling? Like imagine you're, you're the people that you look to right now to keep you secure. When they pass, some of you have felt this. You feel so lost. You feel like, like you don't have any stability in your life. This is what was happening in this kingdom. And it, it contrasts that with another king. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, I saw the Lord, and he is seated, seated on a throne, high and lifted up. So the word here is not the word that you're going to hear later, which is capital R, capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's later. That's the proper name of the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existent God. What Isaiah sees here, he sees him in his title as Adonai. As the supreme, sovereign master over his creation. This is who he is viewing, the Lord. And the Lord is not just there sitting down, hoping everything goes well. He's on a throne. He's on his throne, and his throne is postured above all other thrones. Amen? And he's not just a king seated on a throne. If you could picture this, you know, picture, no, no I'm not about to say picture me as the king high and lifting up, but that's, that's been disproven recently, he's seated on a throne high and lifted up and isaiah is seeing this massive throne with jesus himself seated on it and he is reigning he's experiencing him as the sovereign master of all of his kingdom but there's something else he's seeing he's seeing the robe this robe is so long and massive that it's winding all over the place all over this massive temple leading up to this massive throne it's a huge robe did y'all know With the kings of egypt and the kings of syria they would adorn themselves with a massive throne and this beautiful massive robe to flaunt how powerful they were or to flaunt how victorious they were. And they'd have this huge, elegant, ridiculous robe, right? But then they would get in a fight with another king and someone was going to lose. The one who was more canai or more powerful, the one who could dominate the other the most would, would kill and destroy that king. And then he's going to go and take a knife or something and cut off the tail of that, that robe he has to say, I have dominated you. I am more powerful. And then he would, he would sew it onto the end of his robe. And these kings would do this, and his robe would get longer. And then he would reign, and he would kill another king, and defeat his kingdom, and cut his robe off. And if, if that king had a bunch of uh, pieces to it, he would sew that onto the end of his robe, and it would get longer and longer. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, as Isaiah sees him, is so sovereign, so victorious over anything that exists in his creation, under his dominion, that his robe just keeps going. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know if the things in your life, may seem difficult, or if you feel like you're on top of things, but if you feel like you're being dominated as you're following Jesus, know that he is the dominant, supreme leader of his kingdom. Amen? Over all creation... Not just those that submit to him, but those that better submit. He reigns over them. And he is victorious. I don't know what you're facing, but he is victorious over things like that. And if you're not facing anything because you're the Mac Daddy, he is more powerful than you. And he may do to you what he does to to Uzziah, to prove to you that you better get in line with his goodness. Amen? Amen? So Isaiah is seeing this, but that's not all he sees. Then his eyes look up even higher, and it says this. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, he says, And above him stood standing are seraphim. Seraphim are burning ones, the burners. They are in the presence of God, and they just consist of energy and fire and light. They burn in the presence of God. These, ser- these fairest seraphim have to exist in the presence of God. Does anybody know what happens to things that maybe touch the Ark of the Covenant? You you, you die, you're destroyed. If you touch the mountain where the presence of God is, what happens? God will kill you. You won't just die from some natural... God's the one who ends your life when you step into his presence and you're not able to maintain because you're not holy enough. But God builds these beings to be able to exist in his presence. He gives them pairs of wings. And it says this. It says that which each wing, six wings... Two of them, he covers his face. He covers their faces. And by the way, these angels are males. He covers his face so that he's not able to be blinded by the awesome glory and splendor of God, of Jesus Christ that he sees. He's not going to be blinded and wiped out by seeing this. But then his lower parts, his lower regions from his waist down are unfit to be in the presence of God. But God makes provision for this. And he has a set of wings just for this. And it says that with two, he covers his feet. He covers his lower regions to be appropriate in the presence of God. And with the other set of wings, this being, this flaming being is there with his other set of wings, and it's able to fly. It's able to move around. A side note, the seraphim is the same word the Bible uses as serpent, as the serpent that bit them in the wilderness, as the serpent that they would see in the, in the desert. And uh, it's either because their bites would be so powerful or because they're And maybe because the way they move, they're, they're viewed as seraphim. We don't know. But we just know that they're flaming ablaze ones that are in the presence of God. But here's what's amazing. What are these beings created to do? Because they're in his presence. And we see him again in Revelation. They're described a little different. They could be different beings. But they also have six wings. And they're doing the same thing for eternity. They're using their mouths. They're they're not using their hands to build and please God with what they can do and how far they can run and how beautiful they can be because they're covered. All that can come out of them is their praise. That's all that God allows, and that's what God has designed them for. God wants their praise out of their mouths, and God has made their mouths able to do this. And it says this in verse 3. And one calls to another and says, the Bible says that it calls, it shouts it, uh, in synchronized form or one to another. They're yelling and calling extraordinarily loud to one another. And what are they worshiping? What are they saying in this worship song in heaven, in this, in this theophany? It says this. He says they, they, they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. How many of y'all know that God is love? Amen. How many of y'all know that God is wrathful? How many of y'all know that God is angry at times? How many of you know that He is merciful? That He is forgiving? That He has been long-suffering with your sin against Him? How many of y'all know that? That He is kind and He is faithful to finish what He started in your life, in your faith? How many of y'all know that? Do you know that that is not what they're worshiping? That is not the attribute of God that God wants to have resounded back to him. It is his holiness. It is this attribute that all other attributes flow out of. It's his holiness that his love is defined by. His wrath is defined by his holiness. To be holy is this. It's to be set apart. It's to be other. It's to be, not to be commonplace. To prepare this, this, uh, this sermon, I use different resources. I use a commentary. To, uh, commentaries can be good or bad, depending on which one you choose. Usually they're very helpful, but sometimes they'll skip on things that are uncomfortable for them, but that's normal. So you move around find ones that work, and that, that's going to actually have the, uh, the, uh, the fortitude, let's just say, to deal with what's there in the text. And so anyway, I use some commentaries, and I also use the Bible called the NET, the, the New English Translation. And this is a Bible for translators. They use this Bible. It's written very uh, academically, so they can just get stuff on a page, unrefined. And then they put all of the translators' notes in it. So in the ESV, there's just a few at the foot. In the NET, it, they're all in there. There's like thousands and thousands of notes. And here's what these folks say about this holiness. It says this, when they're trying to, they're trying to grasp with the original languages and the original cultures are trying to, to portray. And so they're, they're trying to get it into English and so all they can do is put a massive note at the bottom and just use the word holy. But it says this, to be holy is to be set apart from that which is commonplace. It's to be special or unique. Well, that's, that sounds okay, I guess. The Lord's holiness, first and foremost, his transcendent sovereignty as ruler over the world. He is set apart From the world over which he rules. God is holy. The Lord's holiness encompasses his moral authority. Which derives his royal position. As king he has the right to dictate to his subjects. How they are to live. Indeed his very own character. Sets the standard for proper behavior. God is holy. And it says this. He is set apart. From his subjects in a moral sense as well. He sets the standard and they fall short. And we're going to see this in a little bit. God is holy. Whenever anyone in, in the Old Testament interacts with the presence of God. And God doesn't dampen that experience. They die. Do y'all know this also happens with Jesus? Or they don't, they don't die with Jesus. But they do get a glimpse of his holiness. In Luke, actually, I'm just going to turn there quickly. You don't have to turn there. In Luke chapter 4, this is recorded in uh, the three three Gospels and not John. I'm going to do Mark's version. Mark's version has some cool wording. Mark just kind of tells it like it is. In Mark chapter 4, they're they're in a storm. You remember this? And they are freaking out in the storm because they could die. They have a a reason to be scared. And Jesus is sleeping. I can't sleep if, if anything is happening in the house. I have to have everything... Jesus is asleep. The storm that terrifies humans isn't even enough to stimulate Jesus in his subconscious. That's how much he, he understands his power. He's asleep and they wake him up like, Jesus, do something. So it's like, oh man, y'all have such little faith. And he says this to the storm. Peace, be still. And the waves and the winds stop. The energy disappears And do you know what the apostles' reaction is when they experience the power of Jesus? They experience that his authority is far and above all the power of nature. It says this, and they were filled with great fear. When you actually see God in the Bible, and let's be clear about this. When you see Jesus in the Bible, and you're like, oh, I want to just be in the presence of God. I just want to be in his presence. And I I had a good time with him in his his actual presence. It was such a sweet time in his presence of God. Mm. The caffeine was kicking. And I'm so happy now in the presence of God. Oh, my goodness. I feel such peace because I was in his presence. Oh, my goodness. That might be true in a sense. But whenever the Bible, who has more authority than you, Talks about the presence of God being experienced by humans. They want to die. Get away from me, Jesus. Get away from me, God, because if you stay here, I'm dead. When you see the presence of God, it is bad. And I'm going to show you why this is. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Meaning Jesus is the... This is, this is Jehovah. This is the self-existent God. But then it calls back to his power. The Lord, who's not only in the most powerful army, he's the ruler of the most powerful army. Holy is that. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And he's full of his glory in two ways. Romans hints at this. If you look outside, or you, you look at your own eyeball or something some way, and you examine creation... You will see that the earth is full of his glory, that you can know that God exists or without excuse. You know his divine attributes just by looking. You will never know about Jesus, but you will know about the Father, and you know that he is holy. And not just that, it says that, that you can, you can uh, in Psalms, I wonder if I have this thing for, uh, for quick reference. It says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above declares his handiwork. You can see God in all. His glory fills the earth. But it's not just his goodness and his power that fills it. It's his authority. His authority reigns over everybody. Muslims, they should be following God. Americans who, who my way or the highway or my truth or their, versus their truth, they should be doing God's thing. Amen? Cajuns who think that I'm not that bad because, because I, I was born in a culture of religious norms and I, and I go to church, I go to services... So I'm fine because I just do the thing. You need to be following Jesus Christ. It's not enough. People who have never heard of Jesus and follow different things and worship different deities, they are responsible for honoring God as God, and they are not. It says this in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant who I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Everybody is going to answer for what they have done. You are going to answer for what you have done. You have got to stop belittling and changing the standard of how you should be living, brothers and sisters. This is a very common thing. Whenever a pastor tries to say, Where's your sin right now? You look at your life and you're like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's somewhere, but I just don't know it. It's because, that was, by the way, my literal words a few weeks ago. It's because you've changed the standard of what's holy. And you've dumbed down some things. You've put some friends around you who are not as good as you, maybe. And you feel like you're on top of the world and like, oh, them people over there. Oh, that ethnicity right over there. You know, they, don't, they don't have it together. But my ethnicity, if they could just be more like that, the construction industry would have would be doing better. Or this thing over here would be doing if They just vote the way I vote. Man, oh, man, things would be doing better. You are God in your own eyes. And God is going to bring justice down on you if you do not repent. Amen? So his his justice is over all the nations, and he's gonna call account. But not just that, brothers and sisters, that is not good news. This is good news. When Jesus came as a baby, the angels show up to the to the shepherds and say this in Luke. And suddenly there was an angel there were the angels, a multitude in the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying this Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom is, he is pleased. Peace on earth. Brothers and sisters, God's judgment is not just coming to all people, but his gospel is here for all nations. Amen? Yes. Amen? Yes. This shirt, this is <laughs> just to explain this. This shirt was a gift from some ladies in Zambia. We went and visited a friend, Pastor Gabriel. He works there. And he's like the Apostle Paul. We, we are not missionaries. Gabriel is a missionary. We're like the Church of Rome. We're like we're giving money. And he's like the Apostle Paul, planting churches. And these pastors are coming to him wanting to be planted. It's amazing, these little Timothys. Well, they're not little. They're, they're older than me. And so he's planting them. So we went visit. And in Zambia, they blessed us with some shirts. And so that's where this comes from. It comes from those ladies. They eyeballed my body, and then they, they knew what size I was, which is, it, it was an honor. And then they made this shirt, and it fits pretty well. But that's why I'm wearing this, because that's where the hub of Christianity is now, is Africa. Not America anymore. It's South America now. It's Korea. It's, 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 the, uh, it's going south and it's going east now. It's no longer the U.S. because we, do, we are not people of the word anymore. Our churches are liberalizing and they're, being, they're becoming conservative. They're getting away from the cross of Christ and God's justice. And they're becoming liberal social justice warriors without the real justice of God. We are impotent and we're worthless now. We must become people of the word once again, of the Holy Spirit, become potent people. Amen. Amen. I'm saying all this to say that the the gospel is reaching the world. Pastor Gabriel is involved in this. And that's why we send so much money to him to be involved in that work. The whole earth is filled with glory. And moving along, it says this. This worship is not cute. One of the coolest things was when the electricity cut out. That was awesome. Do you know why that was awesome? Uh, Chap and Grace led us in something, and something happened. Y'all know what happened? We could hear you singing. You could hear you singing. You could hear your friends next door singing. Wasn't that awesome? Uh, In the Church of Christ, one of their strengths is that they sing a cappella, and that is some crazy stuff to hear. That is beautiful to hear. Singing without instruments. Now, the, what they do miss is that God has given us to instruments. And once you taste how good God is, you're grabbing whatever you can grab to honor God. Amen? Amen? And that's happened all over the scripture where their worship is not cute. It says this in verse 4 And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. Have you ever been to an LSU football game and heard when they are shouting for the Tigers to do a play? Did your chest shake? Anybody? Yeah. Everything shakes at the, at the yell and the roar. Of these people worshiping and honoring. Not, I mean, not in like a God sense, but in, in an appropriate sense. They're, they're exposing the worship of this football team. Well, when you experience all of who God is, your worship is going to be intense. Well, these beings, when they worship, their worship is so intense. that something that God made himself, the pillars of his t- temple. They begin to rumble and shake. Because of the worship, trying to express the holiness of God. Amen? And here's where it is in verse 5. And the smoke is filling this place up of a worship. Isaiah's reaction to this needs to be understood. His reaction is not, oh, man, that was just a good time in the presence of the Lord. Mm. What is his reaction? His reaction is, oh, no! No! Oh no, oh no, oh no. Woe is me. I'm going to die. Kill me, kill me, kill me. I'm undone. Look at this holiness. He is holy. He is holy. Look at the beings who can exist. Look what they're doing with their mouths. No, no, kill me. Kill me. I'm undone. Look at my mouth. Look at my mouth. I've said, oh my God, before. I have slandered his name. I have claimed to be a Baptist, to be a Catholic, to be an Assemblies of God. But I follow my authority over his authority. I honor my free will over his lordship. Oh, no. Kill me. Kill me, please. I am a man of unclean lips. And my people, who who I think were all good and all wonderful, They also have unclean lips. Oh no! Oh no! Look at this. I'm beholding the actual holiness of God and I am going to die. That is the correct response when you really experience the glory of God. Amen? Amen. You know that you are going to die if something doesn't happen because of your evil against God. And your evil may not have been murder, but it may have been Jonathan's evil, my evil, which is, God, I don't think you are big enough to get to, to fix the future. I don't think you're big enough, God, to preserve my wife and my baby's life. I'm always stressing about the moment they die of what that's going to be like. Because in my soul, I have a sin that if I get into the presence of God without something covering me, God is going to kill me because of that evil. Something has to happen. Something has to happen. And how, how do we know that that's the appropriate response of Isaiah? Well, look at the next verses. It says this. At the end of verse 5, it says, Because I've seen the Lord. I'm looking at him. That's why I think I should die. And I'm freaking out. Because I have actually seen the Lord. Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. But brothers and sisters, look at what happens next. Look at what happens next. While Isaiah is knowing that the only next appropriate thing to happen to him is that God destroys him, that he perishes, an angel, wandel Seraphim, that is singing holy, 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 darts over here to an altar and grabs some tongs and picks up a burning coal. And this is it. This is it. I deserve what's coming. I deserve what's coming. I, I don't do enough good stuff. I don't, I don't do enough penance. I don't do enough this. This is it. This is it. I deserve this. And he comes to me. He says, he comes to me and what does he do? He touches, he touches my mouth, verse seven. He does not shove it in his face and try to consume Isaiah. This angel is doing a work to Isaiah and Isaiah sees that God is acting to him personally and intimately and he comes and he touches his his mouth. He touches his mouth, the very area of shame. Where is your area of shame? Have you been looking to things that you've tried to do in your life, your career? Have you used your career as a way to make decisions in life? Has that been your God? Is that your shame? Maybe it's been your laziness. Man, to watch young men refuse to go get simple jobs is crazy. And at first, it's their mom's fault. And then above that, it's their dad's fault because they refuse to be parents. But then eventually it's that young man's fault to grow up and be a man. And that's where the church has got to come aside these young men and kick them in the butt and say, if you don't get a job, you're in sin because the Bible says the person who does not work doesn't eat and you're eating and you're going to be brought to the elders eventually. And then you're going to be sent out as an unbeliever because you're claiming the name of Jesus, but you're not going to follow Jesus, which is taking that name in vain. Brothers and sisters, where is your guilt? Have you said, God, if you would just give me a man, then you'd be good. Is that where your guilt is? That was, I mean, <laughs> mine was, uh, if you'd give me a woman. <laughs> Y'all are awake. All right, that's good. That's pretty good. I was single from, I'm going to say 15, so I can use a big number here, 15 to 35, 20 years. I cursed the name of God through that years because he was miserable to me as I was thinking. Because I was single for a soul. If God, if you would just give me a wife, then you're good. That's my shame. Where is your shame? Because Isaiah's shame was his lips. And God comes to that very place and puts a coal. And the angel says this. Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Brothers and sisters, he needed to die to make his situation better because of being in that presence. But that's not what happened. God did something. God sent his angel to come and fix the sin in Isaiah's life to make his mouth right for a job that he's going to fulfill eventually, pretty soon. God does not call the equipped. Have you heard this? This is not in the Bible, but this is a great summarizing of the Bible. He does not call you because you're good. We just just covered this in Romans. He equips you when he calls you. How many of y'all, Craig and Tammy, were y'all, did y'all feel like y'all had all the pieces ready when y'all went to China? No, y'all still maybe didn't feel toward the end of it, but God equipped them. People postpone having kids because they don't feel equipped and they've been lied to about children. God equips you. God was equipping Isaiah before he he was going to do something with him. God's equipping him and he touches his lips and he takes his sin away Man, uh, what Gary said and what Chap sung this morning, all we see is our sin once God opens our eyes to that, but God sees something else and we're not there yet. What Gary was saying is that God has acted to remove your sin if you'd only come to him and confess and repent, to atone for your sin. Well, that's what happened. And then here at the end, it says this, that that's not it. And what I like to think, this is me adding to the scriptures. So uh, your name will be removed from the book of life if you do this so I'm not actually adding to the scripture so look let's step away from the word (laughs) Could you imagine what Isaiah's next move was to know to see the glory of God and to know what needs to happen to him which is to die in the presence of God but instead to have this angel touch his lips and to remove that shame from him to have a mouth that can now praise God what do you think that man did next he He worshipped what song do you think that man sang He probably sang, Holy, holy, holy are you, God. You are so holy. The whole earth is full of that glory. And instead of terror, do you think he saw beauty now? Do you think that now when he looks upon God, he doesn't just see wrath and justice and anger and holiness? He sees the gospel. He sees forgiveness and patience and atonement. He sees beauty, right? Isn't that awesome? So he's probably joining the angels now singing. I wish the, uh, the song was on, but this is the will of the Lord. So we're going to submit to it. And then this happens. God does not stop with this salvation thing. God says this, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isn't that crazy? That God's plan for, for, for his agents is not just to save them when they're unworthy, but it's to send them. Isn't that crazy? God gave Isaiah a purpose and God has a mission. Now, this particular mission is actually kind of grim. It was to go preach a judicial type of hardening. So that's that's a bit intense. That's not part of this sermon, but he had a he had a mission and he's saying, who's going to go for us? Because there is a mission who's going to go. What is Isaiah's only willful response that he is absolutely able to give? after he's in the presence of God and sees his greatness and his splendor. He sees how unworthy he is of life, but worthy of destruction he is. And then he experiences God coming and fixing that himself, atoning for that sin and removing it, so that he can use his mouth to worship. And then God says, I have a job for someone to do. Who is going to do it? Who's going to go and be sent by me? There's only one thing to say. If you have experienced this gospel and you see the sending that Jesus does, there is only one thing that your will can do, which is what? Here I am. Look over here. Who, who can, uh, do, you, do you see anybody, Trinity? Who can go down here? Hey, down here, me, me. Here I am. Send me, send me. Whenever you hear a gospel sermon preached, and you hear of opportunities for missions, and you're retired, and you're finally free of the hustle and bustle, and there is a mission to go and do, and you have experienced the gospel, there's only one response you can do. Hey, don't pass me up. I'm finally available. I got the money. I don't need to raise money. And I'm actually smart now, and I'm actually kind of calm now. So now send me. I'm retired. If you're single, And you've experienced the gospel for real and you see an opportunity to graduate high school and then i'm not sure what and you've actually experienced the gospel and you see the need for salvation all over the world there is only one thing you can do hey down here don't pass me up send me send me or you're married and you have these kids and you see the need for their discipleship and their salvation and the biggest opportunity for missions these children What is the only response once you've experienced salvation from God? God, send me to my children. Please don't distract me with the thousands of other things that are big and good in life. Please focus me in on my kid and let me teach them these Bible stories and these Bible lessons so that I can shoot them out into the world like an arrow in a good way and bring the gospel out there and you have a bunch of kids and shoot all of them out there. Do not shoot your kids out of a canyon at home. This is a lot of figurative speech happening here. Your parenting is your place of missions. How many of you guys have a job? Oh my gosh, I hesitated. This scared me. I think I can't preach this sermon now. That is your mission field. Kenya and El Paso and Juarez, that's not your first mission field. Be faithful with God's given you now so that you can be faithful when you have other opportunities. They need to hear the gospel. I'm going to butcher this statistic, but it's something like this. In Lafayette, three-quarters of people are going to hell. Three-quarters of Lafayette residents are not born-again Christians. A lot of them go to church, but a lot of them don't go to church. It was, we do not know a Christian in, in our neighborhood. Where's my wife? We, we haven't found one yet in our neighborhood. This is South Louisiana, folks. This is the Bible Belt. No Christians. I'm sure they're there. We haven't found them yet. Isn't that sick? And we think, oh, you know, everything's fine. They're good old boys, good old girls, whatever. They're like me, skin color, all this stuff. They're going to hell because they're going to experience the presence of God and Jesus is going to command the angels in them to get away from me and go into the lake of fire. This is bad. I have a mission field. You have a mission field. What about your family? Your family's a mission field. That's a rough one. I'll give you that. And probably somebody else is going to be more effective. I know how it works. Your family, brothers and sisters, There's only one answer we can give, which is, here I am, send me, amen?